Thank you for taking time to listen to this Redemption Church sermon. Redemption Church exists to make authentic disciples who live for the glory of God and the good of our world. We want to help everyday people wake up to a deep, meaningful life in Christ. We pray this sermon will help. For more information about Redemption Church and for additional resources, please visit redemptionokc.com. Good time of worship. Excited to get into God's Word today. We're actually in Acts chapter 9. If you've got your Bibles or your device or wherever it is that you want to look along, I'd love for you to jump there and to follow along with us as we, um, as we jump in here to God's Word. Students, I know you guys have been doing this a lot all weekend, so I just ask that you guys would give us your complete attention and just seek the Lord and continue to seek Him as we jump into God's Word today. We are actually going to look at a classic, really the classic conversion story of the New Testament. We're going to look at the story of the Apostle Saul, uh, or the Apostle Paul, who formerly was known as Saul. Saul, the persecutor of the church, becomes Saul, the apostle and preacher to the Gentiles. Uh, this is going to take place, it's about one to three years after Jesus died upon the cross. And so just a little bit after Jesus had, had bled out upon the cross, died and risen again, uh, Paul or Saul at the time is his name. His name gets turned to Paul. I'm going to mess this up all day long. So if I say Paul and I mean Saul, it's the same dude. I just His name changes after he goes through conversion uh, because there's such an identity shift for him uh, that, that, um, that we begin to see something different that takes place and he is identified in the Bible in a different way. And from this point on, really in the book of Acts, Paul, or Saul, is going to take on more of a prominent role, and we're going to see that kind of unfold as we move through the story. So we're going to read in Acts chapter 9, and uh, just read along with me, and we'll jump in here. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found anyone who belonged to the way, men and women, he might, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on, the way, went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone all around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And the voice responded, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with Saul stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now there was also a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. And he said to him, Rise, and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man, a man of Tarsus, named Saul. For behold, he is praying, and he has seen a vision a man named Ananias coming and laying his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias said, Lord, I've heard, many, I've heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the, from the chief priest to bind everyone who calls on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. 
So Ananias departed and entered the house, and laying hands upon, upon him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell off his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he arose and was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, when we look at this passage, uh, we see this idea of Paul's conversion, this change. In fact, the very idea of a Damascus Road experience has kind of become proverbial in our culture. It's something that people refer to, and you hear it over and over, but uh, that there's a Damascus Road experience means that you've gone through some kind of a turnaround, some kind of amazing shift, some kind of awakening that changes the course of your life, and we refer to that as a Damascus Road experience. That phrase actually comes from this passage that Paul, on the road to to Damascus, has this spiritual experience that turns and changes his entire life. Now, if anything, Paul or Saul would seem like an unlikely candidate for this kind of a quick turnaround. He would not seem like the kind of guy who would be susceptible to kind of an emotional reaction or a total 180 or a flip-flop of his life from one direction to the other. In fact, uh, Saul was, uh, was a highly educated man. He was highly intelligent, spoke multiple languages. He could, dial, he could dialogue along with uh, poets and philosophers just as well as he could with priests and uh, biblical scholars. And so this is a guy who uh, was, was, a, was a leader, was a strong personality, and yet on the road to Damascus, he's going to have a complete 180 turnaround in his life. And this becomes kind of the classic story of conversion or rescue or salvation in the New Testament. Now Saul's story ultimately reveals what, what, is most, what is so powerful about Christianity and what makes Christianity such a powerful and changing force in our world. We've seen it through the whole book of Acts, but with, with Saul's conversion, it's just so explicitly clear what happens. And then that becomes a pattern or an example for all of us. And what we see is that, that Jesus and the gospel are the most explosive, transforming power the world has ever seen. And we see that individually in Saul's life, but we also see that in the way that, that the gospel spreads through Saul throughout the known world and literally changes the course of human history so that nothing is ever the same. It's a powerful force. Uh, if you think about this, I, I think it's hard for us to imagine what that would be like for Saul. It's hard for us to put ourselves in his shoes and to think, what would it be like to have gone through an experience like that? But I think we, we look at the book of Acts and we're kind of hungry for those things and we wonder about it. And I think it's one of the reasons why there, there's a lot of news or a lot of excitement right now about something called the Asbury Revival. Any of you been following this in the news? Um, this is, if you follow on social media, you may have seen something going on, but there's uh, actually a, a, a movement of God that seems to be taking place. We use this word revival, and if you grew up in Baptist church, it was like a scheduled thing, like you could predict in a revival and you had it, and you, what you're doing was you're going to try to do something hoping that God does something really good, um, but that wasn't really what, 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 a, what actual historical revival uh, really, is ta- really means. The word revival means to revive, meaning if something was, was deceased and it needed to be revivified or, re, or given new life, it speaks of a reawakening of some spiritual interest or focus or excitement that takes place. And so this idea of revival takes place. And really what we see in Asbury is there was a small group of students 
uh, this is a small uh, Christian college, about 1,600 students, and they had their normal Wednesday chapel service. And at their normal Wednesday chapel service, nothing seemed, nothing remarkable seemed to happen. But then at the end of the service, there were a handful of students that stuck around and began to pray. And that handful of students began to began to grow and they began to seek the Lord and they began to pray and they began to worship and what started as a as a morning chapel service began to extend throughout the day and as word got out more and more students went back and began to experience this chapel and they began to confess they began to repent they began to to pray for one another to sing together to read scriptures to encourage one another and that extended into Wednesday night and, and it actually went all night long and continued on Thursday and, and more and more students began to hear, and word began to get out, and students from nearby, from the University of Kentucky, began to, began to come over, and students from other universities began to flock to this place. And it's continued day and night for like 11 days now, as this has gone. And each night, a handful of students have continued to pray and to seek the Lord all night long. Now, as you think about what this looks like, it's interesting that people from Brazil and Italy are interested. Uh, people from all around the country are driving there. There's actually busloads of college students that have, that have visited. There's friends, I have friends that have personally driven over and seen it. I don't talk to them. I don't have any, any, but I do know some that have gone. But there's just an interest and a hunger for God and for, the, for a connection with the God of the universe that we see. Now, here's the thing about revival. Especially in a social media world, you're going to have some that immediately are going to jump on the, the, the critical angle and they're going to try to control and shut this down. You're going to, others are going to try to co-opt it and make it into their own thing. And all those things, not commenting on any of those things. Here's what I know for sure. What we're seeing is people are hungry to encounter the real God. People are hungry for Him. And with a, with a revival, with an awakening like this, we don't really know for decades what God truly does in this. We can't look back and really understand everything that's going on in that until we see what the fruit is down the road. But, but what I'm confident in right now is that people are hungry and they're running to this place and they're dropping everything and going there. There's a reason why a school has not started classes. They've just let continue, students continue to seek the Lord. is because they're hungry to see God do a work in their community. And in their world. And frankly, we should be hungry for that kind of thing too. Shouldn't we? Does our world need a movement of God? Do people in our world need an awakening? And a new day? I think they do. The seminary president there says, Someday we'll look back on these days and thank God he visited us in ways that we will talk about for years to come. But we are doggedly seeking is not lasting memories, but transformed lives that that go out uh, or that continue long after the lights have gone out in this auditorium and all other places that are experiencing this work of grace. In short, this is not about this place, that place, or any other place. It's about Christ himself. No one owns this awakening, but all of us must own in our lives uh, this, uh, his beckoning to that deeper place. Come Holy Spirit. Right? And we all have to own the, the chance to seek the Lord in a, in a remarkable way. Now what we see in Paul's story and we see in this, I think seeking is that an encounter with God, with a living God always brings a new sense of aliveness that changes who you are to such an extent that you never go back to exactly the way things were. That somehow, not, not, not in the sense that you, that, that you experience something and you have to just keep up the experience and keep it up and keep it up, but in the sense that that experience has so rocked you to the core that you'll never see the world the same way again. Because everything is, is new. 
And you've been awakened to see life in a whole new way. Friends, this is what we're going to talk about. What I want to talk about today is that we need to wake up to the fact that all of our lives are lived before the face of a holy God. God is alive. And we, we, we live underneath his gaze. And it's just in, in an instant, Saul is going to realize that to be true. And it's going to change him completely. And we too need to know this reality so that we're transformed completely by Jesus and by his grace. And that's something we can't do for ourselves. It's something we have to depend on him to do. Now, uh, there, there's likely three, three groups of people that I think are here in this room that, that need to hear this message today. Um, one, there's those who are not converted and don't care. There's some who have never trusted Christ, never trusted the Lord, and, and you really don't care, but maybe you should be interested. Maybe you should be interested in uh, and know something about this man, Saul, who calls himself the chief of sinners, and yet says, I'm also loved by the God of the universe. This man who has actually greater influence than Plato and Aristotle in the, in the history and the course of, of the world. And this man who, in the face of death, says, Uh, says boldly, oh death, where is your sting? Oh death, where is your victory? Because he's not afraid to enter into that place because he knows he has a Savior who will take him to a better place. So maybe if you've rejected him and you don't care, you want to lean in a little bit and listen to what what happens to this man and his experience. There's another group, those who are converted, but maybe you've lost sight of Jesus. See, maybe you've put your faith in Christ. Maybe you've, you've walked an aisle, you've been baptized, you've done a thing, you've, you, you've said that you trust Jesus, but somehow you've lost sight of who he is and what that really means for you. And you may need to, to ask yourself a question, um, Jesus, what, what is it you'd have me do? Because really, if we see Jesus as Saul sees Jesus, then we ought to begin to live like Saul. But when you look at our lives, are we on fire like salt was on fire? Are we willing to say, I count everything as lost for the surpassing glory of getting to know Christ Jesus, my Lord, as Saul did? Then lastly, I think there's another group, those who think that they've been converted to Christ but are not. Maybe you went through a religious experience. Maybe you were interested. Maybe you were sort of afraid of death. Or maybe you, you were sort of coerced by, uh, by parents or someone else to trust something. But you never really had an encounter that rocked you to the core so that you saw Jesus and understood his grace and his love for you. And it changed you forevermore. And so I think those are the three groups that are here. So here's what I want to do. I want us to look at Acts 9. And I want us to look at how God rescued Saul from himself. And see what it is that we can learn. And as you do, I want you to think about which group you're in. And what you need the Lord to show you today about, um, about this message. Verses 1 and 2 say that Saul was persecuting those of the way. The way just becomes a name for those who are Christians. Those who are following the way of Jesus. And so anyone that, uh, that it says that there are men and women who are experiencing new life in Christ and His Spirit. And because of that are moving out in faith. And in the midst of their actions, they're, uh, it says that Paul is going and he's got permission from the religious leaders to go grab up these men and women. And actually imprison them and drag them back to Jerusalem. So that, the, that this word of Christ may not continue. And yet, Christianity has spread as far as Damascus. Damascus is about 135 miles north of Jerusalem. And so the, the word of the gospel is getting out. People are hearing about Jesus and lives are being changed. And that ripple effect that we saw in Acts 1 is continuing to move through the book. Now on the road to Damascus, what happens? Paul is likely on a donkey and he's riding and going with some traveling companions on, the, on this 135 mile journey. And all of a sudden a bright light flashes 
and it stuns Paul. It says it knocks him to the ground and hears a voice and it's Jesus speaking. He says, why are you persecuting me? Now this is an interesting thing because um, who, who did Saul think he was persecuting? Men and women who believed in Jesus. But what does Jesus say? He didn't say, why are you persecuting these children of mine? He says, why are you persecuting me? What it means, what Jesus is saying is, I have solidarity with these people. Paul will later teach us about the body of Christ. And he will say that all of God's, um, all of those who have placed their faith in Christ are part of the body of Christ and Christ himself is our head. And so we are one people. And what Jesus says is, when you attack them, you attack me. Friends, as his church, does that not give you comfort? That when someone attacks you and they persecute you and they come at you, what Jesus says, if you attack them, it's like attacking me. And so Jesus says to Paul, or to Saul, why are you attacking me? Did you notice how personal Jesus is? He says, Saul, Saul. You ever have to do that with your kids? Or, or maybe your spouse, ladies? Uh, but you have to say something like, uh, like, like, John, John. Like, are, are you listening to me? And so there's this kind of intense emotion to that where he says, Saul, Saul, are you listening? Why are you persecuting me? And shaken and unsure what to do, uh, Saul asks a good question. Who are you? Right? Which seems like a reasonable question if a voice comes out of heaven and uh, if, if a bright light shines so bright that uh, Paul later says it was brighter than the sun. It literally knocked him to the ground. And he says, Lord, who are you? Which is an interesting question because Saul was a religious leader and a spiritual, considered to be a spiritual giant in their, in their spiritual community. And yet when the Lord speaks to him, he goes, I, don't, I know something's wrong. I know I, I'm not seeing this right. So he asked the question, who are you? He's humbled. He's stunned. He says, if I'm, if I'm persecuting you, tell me who you are. Right? And there's some humility. And he, the response is, I'm Jesus. Now, it's interesting when you think of Saul and Saul's life. Saul, um, later we'll, we'll talk about um, his religious pursuits. And honestly, his religious pursuits were, were legendary. He, he had outpaced everyone in, in, in Jerusalem and everyone that had sought the Lord within that, uh, that, the context of Israel. Uh, Saul had outpaced them all. He, he was more passionate than everyone. He was more zealous and excited than everyone and more devoted and faithful than everyone. In Philippians 3, Paul says, If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in his own flesh, I have more. I was circumcised on the eighth day. I was of the people of Israel. I was of the tribe of Benjamin. I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, I was a Pharisee. As to zeal, I was a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, I was blameless. What Saul is saying is, I tried as hard as I could, and I did everything within my power to do all the right things. And everyone looked at me and said, this guy does it better than anyone else. And yet when Jesus shows up, he, he had missed him. And what we see through this entire episode is that Saul, <clears throat> Saul had been right to pursue God, but he'd been misguided in his understanding of who God was. Saul had been, had been right to be passionate, but his passionate was focused in the wrong place. And when Jesus showed up, he missed him. And now Jesus shows up to him on the road to Damascus and reveals himself to him in a way that stuns Paul. And he's completely stopped in his tracks and his mouth goes silent, uh, which it's hard to get a preacher to shut up. But, but, but Paul shuts up and he just listens and just says, who are you? I need you to instruct me because I obviously don't have all the answers here, which is a good place friends, for us to be before 
the face of God. N.T. Wright says this about this moment. He says, This moment shattered Saul's wildest dreams and at the same split second fulfilled them. This was, he saw it in an instant, the fulfillment of all of the Old Testament scriptures, but also the utter denial of the way that Paul had been reading them up to that point. God the Creator had raised Jesus from the dead, declaring not only that he was really Israel's Messiah, but that he had done what the one God had promised always that he himself would do through his own personal interaction. Everything was now focused on this one figure from whom everything streamed a blinding light. The figure who now addressed Paul as a master addresses a slave. The figure he recognized now as Jesus of Nazareth. Heaven and earth came together in this one man. And he was commanding Saul to acknowledge this fact and to reorient his entire life accordingly. Do you see what's happening for Saul in this moment? That he was running as fast as he could go. And when Jesus showed up, he went, I missed it. And it reoriented his entire perspective. And, and, and he began to see things in a whole new way. And it began to change. And he is going to forever live in a whole new way. Now, what's interesting is just a couple chapters ago in Acts 7, remember we looked at, uh, if you were here, uh, Stephen, the martyr who was killed. This is exactly what Stephen was trying to get Paul to understand and everyone that would listen. He was saying, look, this Jesus is the one that fulfilled all the Old Testament prophecies. All the promises that, that God gave from the beginning of creation until now were, were, were answered and fulfilled in the person of Jesus. And, and yet they stoned and killed Stephen. And Paul, or Saul, was there. It was interesting that Saul had heard the same message from Stephen. And it was all about Jesus, saying everything in the Bible is pointed to him. And Saul had not just heard Stephen say these words, but he'd seen Stephen. In Acts 7 it says he was full of the Spirit. And he gazed up into heaven and saw the glory of God. And Jesus was standing at the right hand of God. And behold, Jesus said, and Stephen said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And Saul had watched and listened as Stephen said this. And then Saul had stood by and said, Yes, throw the stones at the man. And he'd seen him, he'd seen him destroyed and killed through, this, through, through his stoning. And he'd watched the dying Stephen cry out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he'd watched as he died and said, Lord, do not hold the sin against them. And it's interesting that this same Lord that Stephen looked up and said, I see the Son of Man standing in heaven. The same Lord now is in heaven speaking to Saul. And he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he says, who are you? He says, I'm Jesus. And in that instant, everything changed for Saul. Now, what's fascinating is that 20 years later, uh, Paul would write in 2 Corinthians. He'd say, for God who said, let, sh- let light shine out of darkness. So that's talking about creation, right? When God made the world and he's creating everything and he says, you know, put sea, you know create the seas and separate the water, the land from the seas and put uh, fish in, in the waters and put animals in the land and he creates man. He says, the God who created the world. So when God said, let light shine out of darkness... That same God has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ Jesus. You see what happens? Saul's looking back and he's remembering. And when I was going 100 
100 miles an hour the other direction, Jesus broke through and shined a light that knocked me to the ground, and I saw his face. And he spoke and revealed himself to me and said, Who, I am Jesus, the one you're persecuting. And so Saul now understood that the same God who made the world was saving the world through his son. And even though he was just beginning to see spiritually, Saul was struck uh, physically blind. Uh, friends, how would you like that as an object lesson? Like sometimes your, your teachers, your professors give you an object lesson and want you to learn something. Uh, this is going to be one that sticks with him for three days. And so for three days, he's not going to be able to see. His traveling companions said they saw the light, they heard a voice, but they couldn't make out the words, and they didn't get to see the face. They just knew, dude, something radical happened. And so they pick Saul up, and they walk him by the hand. Uh, it's a pretty humbling thing to have to be walked by the hand. When you're the one that's going to a place that I'm going to go and drag those people off, right? I'm going to go and I take those men and women in Damascus and I'm going to personally drag them back to Jerusalem. And now Paul's going, would someone just take my hand and help me find my way there? Do you see the complete reversal that God's brought around? Uh, it's amazing to think about what it would have been like. It says he couldn't eat or drink uh, for three days. Uh, you, can, you can imagine that he's, his, his thoughts are spinning in his head. And, and we find out later that he was praying. And so he's completely trusting. Friends, let me ask you this. Have you ever realized that you're spiritually blind without God's intervention? Because what's true of Saul is true of us too. That we can do everything right, seemingly, according to the flesh, and completely miss the point of what Jesus came to do. Before the face of God, Saul was silent. He was stunned. He was listening for any clue because he knew he was helpless. And left to our own wisdom, without the grace of God's revelation, we're all in darkness in the same sort of a way. But what's great is Jesus loves to shed, people, shed light on our lives so that we can really see. That's what we see in Saul's journey. Verse 10, we see that God sends a helper to Saul, right? Named Ananias. And this man, Ananias, uh, is, uh, hears a vision. And it's interesting that, that Jesus comes to Ananias and says really the same command he says to Saul. He says, rise and go. Uh, but he says, arise and go. And, what, or, and when, he, when he appears to him, what's Ananias say? He says, here I am, Lord. And he tells him to go to a street called Straight. It's interesting, if you go to Google Earth on your, on your phone right now and type in Straight Street in Damascus, the street still exists. It's modified a little bit. But you can actually still find that street in, in the city of Damascus. And so uh, he's going to go there. And he's told to go to a house of a man named Judas. Not the Judas from the Bible who's... Uh, not on the scene any longer, but he's going to go there. Now, it's interesting. Um, what, when, uh, when Ananias hears from the Lord in this vision, he immediately says, here I am, Lord, which is another way of saying, I'm listening, I'm ready to do whatever you want to do. I'm, I'm going to obey. You just tell me whatever it is you want me to do, Jesus, and I'll go do it. Um, which is a great place to be. But then you notice what happens next. What's Jesus tell him to do? Hey, I want you to go seek out this guy named Saul of Tarsus. And what's, what's, his, what's Ananias' immediate reaction? He's like, whoa, hold on just a second. Like, I, I've heard about this guy. I know who this guy is. And Jesus, you know, like, he doesn't have a very good reputation. Like, this is the guy that came, was coming from Jerusalem to try to arrest all the men and women. He's the guy that literally has been uh, standing by while people died for their faith. And he's the one that's attacking us. He's our biggest enemy. And you want me, he's, he's actually coming here to look for people like me. To this city. And you want me to go look for him? Because I was, I was thinking I was going to hide from him. I, I was thinking I didn't want anything to do with this guy. Um, I think maybe 
Jesus, can you check your notes? Maybe you didn't quite get this one right. Uh, any of you want to say that to the Lord sometimes? The Lord says, uh, calls your name, and you're like, here I am, I'm ready to do whatever. And Jesus goes, hey, would you go do X, Y, Z? And you're like, ah, can we try like maybe something um, and so there's this kind of shocking moment here that he takes, but Ananias comes, and what God says to him is, I want you to go because this one, Saul, is my chosen vessel to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings in Israel. Meaning that, that this one, Saul, who has been an enemy, is going to be turned, and he's going to become the one that I've chosen as the tool that I'm going to use to change the very world. Jesus' enemy becomes this trophy. Jesus' attacker becomes his ambassador. Is that not an amazing testimony of God's grace and his power? That the one who came against Christ, the one who rejected him, the one who, who, who denied him, is going to become his greatest spokesperson. Now there's two powerful theological things that happen uh, through Ananias. The first is, it says that he lays hands on Saul. And the second is that he calls Saul and refers to him as his brother. And let me just think about this for a second. Saul had laid his hands on men and women to harm them, but Ananias, the disciple, is going to lay his hands on Saul to bless him. He's going to offer encouragement to him. He's going to offer a commissioning, a a ceremony that says, I'm connected to you. And the same Spirit of God that came down in Jerusalem is going to come into you, and you're going to be filled with the Spirit through the laying on of hands of Ananias. Ananias was not an apostle. He was not a priest. He was uh, apparently a lay leader that God used and said, I want you to go and speak to Saul. And what he's doing is there's a solidarity or connection between Saul and between all the other Christians. It's a pretty remarkable thing, isn't it? That the one who came to arrest Christians is now being identified alongside Christians through the laying on of hands of a Christian brother, sharing the same spirit, the same mission, and, then, and, and becoming a part of the same people. And then think about for Ananias how hard this would have been. What's Anna, how does Ananias refer to Saul? I mean, because I'm thinking, like, if I'm just honest, you take a guy that you look at as your biggest enemy, and now you're supposed to go be nice to him. Like, there's a way you can do that where you're kind of like, all right, Ananias, like, I'm going to sort of keep my distance, but I want to, I want to sort of obey Jesus. I want to do this, but Ananias, what's he say? He goes to, he goes to his first greeting to Saul when he could have been fearful and says, "Brother, brother Saul." See, from Jesus on, the, the, the people of God have been really presented as a family. And what, what Ananias is saying is, if Jesus says you're one of us, then you're my brother. If, if you've seen Jesus and you've trusted Jesus, then, then you're my brother, you're family. So he goes to him and just says, Brother Saul, with open arms, ready to embrace him. And I think that would have been an, incredibly, or an incredible step of faith for Ananias to take. When you think about the shift that would have taken place, immediately what happens is the scales fall off his eyes, mirroring that the spiritual blindness that had been removed, and so he physically can see as well. So Saul can see, Saul eat and drink, Saul is immediately baptized, and then Saul immediately begins to tell others what he now knows to be true, that Jesus is the Savior sent by God to rescue the world. So friends, here's, um, I, want, I want to just talk about what, what do we do with this? What does it mean for you and for me, uh, this story that, that Saul has happened? And what do we do with this encounter and this remarkable conversion? Here's the question I want you to think about. Do you realize that Saul's story is also your story? Now, you may go, man, I've never ridden a donkey. I've, I've never 
seen, seen Jesus, heard a voice straight from heaven. I've never been knocked to the ground or blind for three days and have my sight restored. I've never had scales come off my eyes. Like I've, you know, I've had some pink eye, but I got over that. It wasn't a big deal. But I've never gone through the stuff that, that Saul went through. Um, but uh, not the experiences, but the principles of what happened in Saul's life is exactly what happened in your life if you've become a Christian and you've trusted Jesus as your Savior. In fact, what we see in 1 Timothy is Paul later will write this. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me, as the greatest sinner, Jesus might display his perfect patience as an example to all those who would believe in him for eternal life that would come in the future. Paul says, I'm a pattern that you're to follow. I'm an example for you to understand what it is. And so as we think about that, I want us just to take four things uh, from this story that we, four principles that I think apply to each of us. Uh, One is that before the face of a living God, everyone needs rescue. To be rescued by God means that you are going your own way and faith has turned you in an entirely new direction. Sometimes we speak of that as salvation or conversion. And by conversion, it means that you are one thing and you've been made something different. So there's been, there, there's been a complete shift that's taken place. You were blind and now you see, as the song goes, that things have completely changed. You were dead and Jesus says that we each must be born again. This is what Christianity does. Christianity, at its core, is about changing people's lives completely and making them something new. We all are in need of rescue. When that happens, you're awake in a way that you weren't before. Now, maybe you had a general sense of spiritual things. Maybe you were interested in in some kind of mystical reality. Maybe you had some kind of religious background. Maybe you, you, were, you were fearful of death. Maybe you explored kind of on, on, an, kind of on the outside what Christianity or what different faiths or different religions are all about. But this is talking about something different, that you were dead and something's come to life and it's changed who you are because you've encountered the truth of God personally. You begin to see the holiness of God in new ways. You understand that the God who speaks out of heaven is wholly other and different than you are. You begin to see the sinfulness of your own ways in a radically new way. And you recognize there's no way I could save myself and prove myself as worthy to the, the face of the God of the universe. And so you begin to see something new. We all are in need of rescue. And that's the beginning place of, of Christianity. That we're all spiritually blind and misguided on our own. That's the bad news. In fact, Tim Keller says, uh, says that if you don't realize you're spiritually blind, you're likely not a Christian. If you don't understand how blind you are, apart from the grace and the intervention of God, you likely have never met the Jesus that Saul met. Now, when you think about what it means, if all this sounds foolish or boring, uh, it may mean that you've never been converted and you're still blind. And what you need is you need Jesus to knock you off your, off your high horse that you might realize you need him to open your eyes that you might see. We all need Jesus to open our spiritual eyes so that we can see. So everyone needs rescue. Secondly, every rescue is a miracle. It's interesting that John, uh, Jesus says this in John six forty four. He says, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. No one can come to me unless unless the Father draws him. Meaning that every conversion, every salvation, every rescue is a miracle of the Lord. 
that, that he has initiated and he has done something that you could not have done for yourself. Uh, let me ask you about Saul. What did Saul do in the story we looked at today to save himself? Like, all he did was get lost and stay blind. What did Jesus do? Everything else. And this is where we all are. That apart from God's intervention, we all run our way full speed, run headlong uh, away from the Lord unless the Lord intervenes and turns us around as he did to Saul. Every rescue is a miracle of God. Jesus also said, John 15, you did not choose me, but I chose you. The fact that any of us are saved is an absolute miracle of God. Thirdly, before the face of, of a living God, and we see everyone needs rescue, every rescue is a miracle of God. <clears throat> Thirdly, we see every rescue is a journey, even if the moment of rebirth is in, instantaneous. Um, the gods that work in a thousand, uh, ten thousand ways that we don't ever see before we get there. It's interesting, there's three places where Saul's conversion is talked about in the book of Acts. And one is here in Acts 9, one's in Acts 22, one's in Acts 26. In Acts 26, Jesus, or, or, or Saul gives a, a separate phrase that he says, Jesus showed him this. And he says, um, uh, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It's hard for you to kick against the goads. Um, another translation you'll see, it's, Hard for you to kick against the pricks. Some of you may know that phrase from a Johnny Cash song. So if you're a Johnny Cash fan, you're like, oh, that's where this came from. Uh, Cash was actually quoting the story about, um, about Saul's conversion. And what we see is that, that, that there's a process that goes through where God oftentimes is divinely intervening in order to protect us and provoke us along the way of faith. That we might open our eyes and begin to see uh, what it is that we're meant to see. Goads or pricks or sharp pointed sticks that a shepherd would use, kind of like spears that a shepherd would use when sheep would try to run off a cliff or do something stupid. The shepherd would take that thing and just whack them on the side and it would hurt. And so they go back the other way, right? And what is it that Jesus said to Saul? Saul, Saul, it's hard for you to kick against the goads that you've been trying to run away from me, but I did not let you go. I continued to poke you and prod you and protect you. So that eventually it would lead you to this place. Uh, friends, do you realize that God does the same thing for you? That maybe you've been running away from the Lord. Maybe you've been seeking your own way. Maybe you've been trying to do your own. And the Lord keeps putting stuff in the way. And, and he keeps kind of provoking you and pushing you. He's trying to get your attention. And maybe uh, we don't always recognize that it's happening at the time. But later we look back and we see clearly how God was protecting us from ourselves. Maybe it's, uh, maybe, maybe you're wondering why life seems hard. And maybe life's hard because the Lord's going, I'm not going to let you go. I'm not going to let you run away. Uh, maybe uh, you're, you're constantly disappointed in others. And maybe you're trying hard to prove your way is right. Maybe you're dealing with hurt and anger over different things. And maybe all of those things are symptoms that the Lord's going, you need to turn and you need to see me. And you need to be awakened to new life in me. Because you're never going to find it in running after all those other things. Now, we don't know all the ways that God's been working behind the scenes in Saul's life. But it is interesting that, that the Lord says, I've been working for a long time to get you to this point, to get you to see who I am and what life means. Fourth thing, every rescue is received through faith in Jesus and the gospel. Now, what you see in Paul's life is immediately, verse 20, yeah, it says uh, that immediately, Jesus, or immediately Saul proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue saying, he is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Isn't this the dude that came from Jerusalem so that he might wreak havoc on all of those who call upon Jesus' name? 
And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul all the, increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. Is that not remarkable? Paul's turned around and the one that they go, we know why he came here, we heard he was on his way, but his message looks totally different than what everyone has told me it was going to be. Friends, worst news, the bad news here, is that you too were like Saul, you were fighting against Jesus. Scripture says that while we were weak, while we were helpless, while we were enemies of God, Christ came to save us. That's the bad news. The good news is that Jesus will reveal himself to us and it's better than you ever knew, that you can be accepted and loved by him. But friends, we need to, we need to also know what Jesus knew. You know, there's the question that, Jesus, or that Saul asked Jesus. He said, who are you, Lord? Is a, is a much better question than the question we typically ask. The question we typically start with is, who am I? Meaning, am I good enough? Have I done enough? Am I righteous enough? Am I, am I lovable? Am I, am I good enough that God would receive and accept me? The question, though, that Saul asks is not, who am I? The question is, who are you, Lord? And Jesus says, I'm Jesus, the one who died for the forgiveness of your sins. The one who rose again to bring you victory and new life and forever life. Friends, we need, we need to know him. Have you received Christ as your Lord and your Savior? Don't let a day go by. Whatever road you're on today, Jesus can meet you there. You can have a Damascus Road experience. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, awaken us. We might see you. Open the eyes of our heart that we might know you. God, I pray that you would not let a single person in this room walk out today without an encounter with you, the living God. Jesus, would you send your spirit to enliven us, to breathe new life, to awaken us, to give us a hunger for you, to cause us to seek you, to desire you, to trust you, to walk with you, to live for you. Father, we pray it all through Jesus, by your spirit. We ask it by your grace. Amen. Thank you.